Well, friends, something fantastic happened last Wednesday here in Los Angeles. Anybody know what it was? It rained. Yeah, I actually had to use the wipers on my poor Ford Explorer. And uh, I was really thankful for the rain. Water is so important to us, and the importance of that is emphasized in this part of the world. Please catch the screen. This is a brook. It's 99% water. The rest is minerals and dissolved molecules and, like, guppies and stuff. This is the person brook. She's made up of about 60% water. Sometimes more, and sometimes less. This is an egg. This is a watermelon. This is a tomato. Should be called a water tomato. And this is an elephant named Gigantor. Gigantor can smell water from up to three miles away. Which is usually all he needs because the Earth's surface is 70% water. Although 96% of that is salt water. This is how much water is on, above, and below the Earth. Which seems like a lot, unless you compare it to the water vapor in this cloud surrounding this quasar. Which is a lot more. This is a molecule of water. One atom of oxygen, two atoms of hydrogen. It's the only molecule that exists in three different states on Earth. Ice occurs here, 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 and here. And we use it for this. This, this, and this. Now most molecules become denser when they turn solid, but not water. It becomes 8% less dense, meaning if you put ice in water, it floats, which is convenient for your ice water. It's also convenient for all aquatic life on Earth, because otherwise, this would happen. At 212 degrees Fahrenheit, water turns to steam. Steam, or water vapor, is invisible, but you can see bursts of it here, here, and here. We use it here, 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 and here. Steam naturally occurs when the sun heats up water. Now every day, the sun evaporates one trillion tons of water. It evaporates as invisible water vapor and then becomes visible again as clouds when it condenses on tiny particles in the atmosphere. When the clouds become too heavy, they fall as liquid water. Which is what happened when this person, who is mostly water, went to the zoo to see the elephant, who was also mostly water. She was rained on by water, drove home upon water, boiled water to make water for her water sandwich with water tomato, which she chased down with a hot glass of water. So even though water is the most common molecule on Earth, it's surprisingly fascinating stuff. Well, our thanks to Bob Lee for that uh, wonderful insight on water. The sermon lesson this morning is taken from Isaiah chapter 12, and we will read together verses 1 through 6. Isaiah chapter 12, verses 1 through 6. It's up on the screen. Please read with me together. You will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away, and you comforted me. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my might. He has become my salvation. 
With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And you will say in that day, Give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, make known his deeds among the nations, proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be known in all the earth. Shout aloud and sing for joy, O royal Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. Friends, God always blesses the reading and the hearing of the word. St. Petersburg is the Venice of Russia. St. Petersburg is a fascinating city. It has a glorious past. St. Petersburg is known as one of the largest cities in the Northern Hemisphere, five million inhabitants. The city is formed on the delta of the Neva River. There are many, many islands around that delta, and it was there that Peter the Great decided to build this city. It was dedicated in 1704. Now, because Peter the Great built it, we think the city was named for him. Wrong. Peter the Great had it named for St. Peter, the disciple of Jesus in the New Testament. Now, it's, it's an amazing city, and much of its glorious days are in the past. It still has some wonderful palaces, some theaters that are just extravagant. In addition to that, they have the Hermitage Museum, well known throughout the world. But wherever you look in St. Petersburg, there's water. There are 140 canals and fountains in the city of St. Petersburg. And what they say to guys like you and me when we walk into that city, the guides always say, don't drink the water. Don't drink the water. Why? Because there's so much pollution. As I toured around that city, I said to the guide, and in the winter, do you skate on the canals? And he said, no, we can't because there's so much pollution. I said, what do you mean? He said, there's so much grit in the ice, it takes the edge of the blade off your skate. Water. Isn't it interesting that when you take a drink of water, there's 5,000 to 50,000 forms of bacteria right there invading the lip of your glass. I know this, that there are some 5 million forms of bacteria when you sluice your hands in the folds of your skin. That's why it's so important to keep washing your hands. And we know, of course, that water's important just for consumption's sake. The medical folks say, drink eight glasses of water a day. Well, my goodness, that's an awful lot. How much of your body is water, according to that film? Were you paying attention? Something like 60%, two-thirds of your body is water. Why do we drink so much water? Because it delivers oxygen to our body. It cleans out the toxins. It lubricates the joints. Water is absolutely basic to our body. It helps our body temperature. It helps regulate our body temperature. It's huge. And in every paper in America, at least once a week, there's an article about people feuding over water. We do it in Arizona, we do it in California, we do it in Texas. There are always fights over water. We have feuded for centuries over aquifers. We've fought over cisterns and dams and reservoirs and rivers and springs and wells. 
water is extremely important to us. The prophet of God, Isaiah, knew just that. And what he knows is that wells were expensive to dig. They were tedious to dig. And in fact, rivals would rather take over your well than dig a new one. And in the Old Testament, you have a number of examples of where a country is going to be invaded, and when they know the invaders are coming, they stop up their own wells with rocks and dirt. And if you really want to get vengeance on your enemy in the Old Testament, one of the things you did was take out the enemy's wells. That's how important water was to the folks. Isaiah says, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. What concerns me is many Christians are drinking at very strange wells. Where do you go for sustenance? I'm talking about spiritual sustenance. The sustenance that affects you emotionally, physically, spiritually, intellectually. Where do you go for that kind of sustenance? Linda and I were in a place called Tallinn, Estonia. And the tour guide took us to the center of that city, and he said, I want to show you a well. And I'm going, well, big deal. No, he said, this well's important to us. And I said, why is it so important to you? He said, it's called the well of the cat. I said, so where did that come from? He said, well, back in medieval times, they thought there was an evil spirit down in the base of the well, and in order to appease the evil spirit, they'd throw a cat down the well from time to time. There's your contamination, yes. Some, some of us go to very strange places to get spiritually fed. Yesterday I noticed in Forbes magazine they wrote up the 100 most powerful entertainers in the world. Guess who's at the top of the list? Oprah. Oprah made it. Why? Because she made so much money last year? No. She's just so powerful. Her influence is huge. Does she put on a good show? Does she interview well? Why, of course. But people say to me all the time, well, she's just so spiritual. Listen, don't confuse her spirituality with real theology. She ain't no Mother Teresa. And you need to know that if you're just going to play in the muddy water around the base of the well and never drink of the living water that only Christ can give, then you haven't arrived just yet. A Sunday school teacher was reading that passage to the children that Enoch read to you a few moments ago from John chapter 4. And she was explaining that story, of course, of Jesus at the well and the Samaritan woman came to draw water and Jesus asked for a drink. And so she says to her first graders, can any of you tell me how to draw water? And the first grader said, yeah, it's easy, just use a blue crayon. Well, she wasn't prepared for that one. Isaiah chapter 12 and John 4 talks about living water, the joy of living water. Living water for you and for me is Jesus Christ. That's the source of real sustenance. And the one thing that can quench your quest for intellectual, spiritual, emotional, physical health is the living water that comes from Christ. Not just for a day, but forever. Parched no more. That's really what living water is all about. Jesus promises that in John 4. Eternal springs of water. There you have it. Parched 
no more. Well, the story from John 4 is this. Jesus has his disciples prepared to travel with him. He's moving from Judea up to Galilee. But in between, there's a huge barrier called Samaria. Now, the Jews had a choice. The Jews could either go around Samaria or they could go through Samaria. But Samaria was viewed as foreign territory. It was dangerous, actually, for a Jew. And so to travel through Samaria was to travel at risk. You've heard it said over and over in the New Testament, the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. The Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. Well, where did all that stuff come from? Why the resentment? Why the antagonism? It goes back to the Old Testament. In the northern kingdom, the Samaritans were very present. And when the northern kingdom fell, the Samaritans that were not killed were forced out. And when they left, they intermarried with, of all people, the Babylonians. Oh, my soul. And so the rest of the Jews viewed the Samaritans and their marriages and their families as unclean. They simply were not pure as far as the Jew was concerned. Add to that that they really only appreciated the first five books of Moses in the Bible, the Pentateuch. That's all they accepted. And the rest of the Old Testament they weren't interested in. Well, for the pure Jews, this was real heresy. And then when the Jews were rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem, the Samaritans came along and said, let us help you out. We'll be happy to work with you. And the Jews said, no thanks. You're not pure enough. And that created some real bitterness. So the Samaritans created their own temple, not in Jerusalem, but at Mount Gerizim. And the Jews continued to worship in Jerusalem. And in 128 B.C., the Jews wiped out the temple of the Samaritans at Mount Gerizim. So when Jesus says to the disciples, guess what, guys? We're going to go through Samaria up to Galilee. They're going, you've got to be kidding. And I'm sure they rolled their eyes and crossed themselves. So here they go into Samaria. They get to Jacob's well, a very famous well. And they decide to take a break. And Jesus says to the boys, you guys go into Jerry's Deli and get some sandwiches and bring me back one because I'm going to take a break right here at the well. Now you know as well as I do that this Samaritan woman came at a strange time of day to the well. The well was a symbol not just of sustenance, but a place where recipes were exchanged, where ingredients for cooking were sold or bar bartered. It was a place where news was exchanged. Political views were expressed. It was a place where you caught up with everybody else's family and where the gossip just flowed. And this woman came at noontime in the heat of the day when nobody else would be there. Obviously, she had been ostracized. And so she comes in the heat of the day and runs into Jesus, and Jesus says, give me a drink. Now, I know. I'm sure he said, please. It's just not in there. But the text says, Jesus said, give me a drink. Now, you have to understand that as soon as Jesus said that, he cut through centuries of animosity, suspicion, and resentment. And this woman immediately responds, which is highly unusual for a woman to address a strange man. But here's what she says. 
How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? In other words, she wasn't afraid to counter him. And then he says to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying this to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. You mean stuff that's not tepid, temporal, or tame? Something that's abundant and eternal? Living water. And so she says a very natural thing, sir, you have, an, uh, you have no bucket. The well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Jesus knew that her parched soul definitely needed something that would sustain her beyond the temporal. And so he says, everyone who drinks of this water here at the well will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give them will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. And so she says, sir, give me that water. I don't want to have to come back to this well. That's what I want. Give me that living water. Then a very interesting thing happens. Jesus throws her a real sinker. It's as if he takes a spiritual scalpel and opens her up, top to bottom, and says, your dysfunction is very obvious. You need a healing touch. You need the sustenance that I can give you. I am he, I am the one that can make the difference for you. And he then says to her, go and call your husband and bring him here. Go and call your husband and bring him here. And that was the bombshell because she said, I have no husband. That's all Jesus needed to say this. You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. Yes, Jesus threw her a sinker. The truth is, he wanted her to understand that you can't have the gift of living water without accepting the giver. You can't have the gift of living water without accepting the giver. Yes, the gift is free, but you have to be willing to accept the Christ as your Lord and Savior. Was she a symbol of our age? Do you think she was a symbol of our age? Does she represent us in any way? I don't know about you, but I talk to a lot of people that are desperately casting around for some semblance of meaning in this world. People that do feel ostracized, people that do feel lonely, people that feel like they have no sense of meaning in their lives. And some people go from one demeaning relationship to another, to another, to another. Some are flat abusive, but they do it over and over. They walk into controlled situations and simply feel like that's the only choice I've got. Or they're always searching for a better deal. What can I barter? What can I barter? During the Second World War, Dick Dawson, an American surgeon, was captured by the Japanese. He was forced to work on the Burma-Siam Railroad. This railroad was built through swamps, it was full of malaria, there was no pure drinking water anywhere, and the 
water itself around the camp was obviously filled with sewage. So dysentery just flowed through the camp. And the troops were getting weaker and weaker and more and more were dying. And Dick Dawson was lying in his tent one day and looking up at the sky and he spotted those shiny green coconuts up at the top of the tree. And it struck him that there was a sterile fluid in those coconuts full of nutrients. And he thought, I can rehydrate many of these prisoners if I can just make a transfusion of that coconut water into their veins. And so Dick Dawson took bamboo shoots and sharpened them. And then he would drive them into the heart of the coconut. And the other sharp end, he'd make a transfusion right into the vein. And you know what? It worked. It worked. That's the kind of living water the Savior wants to give you and me. You know what gets in our way? Our pride, our fear, our trust. And the Savior says, I have living water for you. All I want you to do is simply accept it. You're not going to find it in Mount Gerizim. You're not going to find it in Jerusalem. You find it only in the Christ. Well, Linda and I have been here six months, and we've made some observations on you folks. You want to hear them? No, you don't. Well, let me tell you a couple of things I've noticed. This place is loaded with high achievers. You people are driven devils. High achievers. And what I would say to you is in the body of Christ, we ought to stop thinking about how to achieve and start thinking about how to contribute. Second thing I've noticed about this congregation is it is loaded, loaded with leaders. Leaders are visionaries with a poorly developed sense of fear. Leaders are visionaries with a poorly developed sense of fear. See, the question for leaders and achievers is this, where do you go for sustenance? Are you drinking at strange wells? Or do you ever look to the Christ, the source of living waters? Each fall, Linda and I take a group of people to the Holy Land. We're going again this October, and one of the places I love to take people is up to Mount Hermon. And uh, when you get up to Mount Hermon, now it's not much of a mountain. If you've seen the Rockies, it ain't much. But I like to take them up to Mount Hermon because there's a ski lift at the top of Mount Hermon. Is it anything like the lifts in Colorado? No. Is it anything like what we have in Utah? No, absolutely not. But it's kind of a ski lift and kind of a ski area. But the important thing about Mount Hermon is this. The water that flows off of Mount Hermon is cool and clear. It's full of nutrients, and it flows down into the Sea of Galilee. And the Sea of Galilee is loaded with fish. It provides healthy water for crops and for consumption. And out of the Sea of Galilee, there is an outlet. And that outlet is of utmost importance because the water flows down the Jordan through the Jordan Valley into the plains of Jordan and there's all kinds of fruit and vegetables in that part of the world. Wonderful agricultural opportunities. 
the key is that there's an outlet to the Sea of Galilee. But as you go further south, the Jordan flows into the Dead Sea. And the Dead Sea has no outlet. And the water is bitter. And if you decide you're going to swim in the Dead Sea, you better not have any cuts on your body. And you sure better not put your eyes in the water or your mouth in the water. The salt will burn you up. And some people think the mud at the bottom of the Dead Sea is therapeutic. I think it's awful. But the Dead Sea stands in contrast to the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee has an outlet, an opportunity for an expression of grace, if you will. And the Dead Sea has no outlet, no opportunity for an expression of grace. Where do you go for your sustenance. I find it in the body of Christ. I find it in the tradition of the church. I find it in the power of the Holy Spirit. I find it in the cross of Jesus Christ. I find it in the resurrection and in Easter people wherever I go. In just a few moments, Linda's going to play Be Thou My Vision. It's a, a wonderful old Irish hymn. The verbiage is dated, but it still carries meaning. The third verse is of favorite of mine. It starts like this. Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Thou mine inheritance now and always. Thou and thou only first in my heart. High King of heaven, my treasure thou art. Where do you go for sustenance? Let us pray. Gracious God, you have given us so much. You've given us your word. You've given us your love. You've even given us your son. You've given us the promised power of the Holy Spirit. Help us to clearly understand that it is your intention to give us living water. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.